0: welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the business creators radio show we help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community market and audience Please take a moment to visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's dive in. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. And we are going to cover a topic that some may consider perennial, but this is something that our listeners have told me so many times they can never, ever get enough of, and they love to see fresh perspectives on this topic. Well, the topic is how to create predictable growth with a sustainable sales operation. And for you, I have... Gone out and gotten you a guest that you are absolutely going to love in terms of what he's about to bring to the table. His name is Joey Gilkey, and I'll tell you just a little bit about him. He's built his career around creating predictable growth through sustainable and revenue operations, including, these are just some of the highlights. Leading a global IT services division for a Fortune 100 company. Taking a $1 million risk management consulting firm to $9.5 million in 18 months. Who wouldn't like to do that? Scaling a digital agency's growth by eight times in 12 months. And here's the fourth one. Driving over $1.3 billion in sales pipeline for clients in three years. As you can see, Joey has a track record of creating predictable, sustainable growth, which is what many of you have said you'd like to have in your own business. No more roller coaster, no more closing deficits, trying to make payroll, none of that. We want sustainable, predictable, reliable sales growth. So you are going to be happy that Joey Gilkey's mission is to be the number one resource for digital agencies that want to take control of their growth and become a sales-driven agency. If this is you, you are in the right place. Get out a notepad, get out two pens because one might break on you just when you're capturing that aha moment that could change your business. And with that, Joey Gilkey, come on in. The weather's fine.
1: What's up, my man? What an intro. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, just looking at some of these stats you shared with us, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to be here, and this is my show, so uh, uh, so really, really, we're honored to have you here. Before we dive in, and I know you have a ton of information, you shared with me in the green room a number of points you want us to cross as we go through our conversation here. Before we do that, let's take a quick quick step back. We've all seen your stats, and I mean, if there's anything even remotely close to batting a thousand. This is probably the first time I've truly seen it. But tell us a little bit about your journey from where it was you started or where it was you became inspired to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, making a difference for your community, market, and
1: audience. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So for me, my career has been predominantly uh, high ticket sales, really high impact Sales environments. Um, but I think honestly, my career started actually in full time ministry. So um, I actually was in full time Christian ministry uh, directly out of college, actually, how my wife and I met. We met in San Diego. Um, and it's obviously where I learned to surf, it's where I learned to care for and deploy empathy and uh, to really build into people's lives. And I think uh, being able to develop that skill set in um, an environment like ministry has actually uh, transferred very well into the world of high ticket sales, very relational, very empathy driven, um, very much about how is it that I can serve those whom I'm sitting across from who trust me uh, by paying me uh, to do a particular job and solve a particular pain point. So um, after ministry ended up getting into the world of IT recruiting um, where um you know, I kind of got my, uh, my teeth kicked in a little bit for, for uh, lack of better terms. I kind of got thrown in with the wolves. Um, really, really big organization, incredible, incredible sales training. Um, so that's really where I learned how to sell, how I learned how to bang on the phones. I'm not a big bang on the phones guy to be quite honest, right. I'm more of a sales guy. Um, but that's where I learned how to just pick it up, develop the confidence in the phone, create relationships, try to find different avenues in which I can provide value in a relationship. Um, and, and do it in a high-paced, high paced, high uh, stakes environment. And that's what really led me on my career path. Um, ended up at a young age, really getting a lot more responsibility than I probably deserved. Um, got to sit in some boardrooms that I definitely didn't deserve to sit in. Um, and for me, that allowed me to really boost my confidence um, as, as a salesperson, as a creator. Um, you know, I, I think sales is a creator Right. You know, often that think of creators as like visionary, um, creative types. Um, I think that sales, you're creating a relationship, you're creating a solution to a problem. Um, so that's kind of where I, I, I started, how I got into it again, was handed the reins to some pretty big uh, sales operations at a young age. And, and from there, um, went from force 100 corporate world. It's a small business, you know, just doing a little over seven figures, Um, or just barely into the seven figures. Uh, Got the opportunity to really help grow that organization from one to nine and a half mil. Uh, Ended up getting poached to go be a a VP of sales at um, a a digital agency. And uh, again, had very similar results and and decided from there, like, hey, I'm I'm making these guys who own these companies who I love, I respect. I'm making a lot of money. I can go do this. And so I ended up leaving starting my own thing. And that's kind of what led me down the path of of where I'm at today with sales driven agency. See, that is
0: interesting. And we've had so many of our guests tell us interesting stories about their trajectory toward where they have arrived. Uh, We've had many, many cases. I think one of the most interesting of all time was somebody who uh, does work with uh, sort of a spiritual heart-centered type of coaching. Mm-hmm. And this is about the last person, if you knew them and you met them in person or even watched one of their videos, you would not believe this person could possibly have spent eight years as a prison guard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it but what
0: But what's interesting about it, and you sometimes see folks will post things on social media and say, hey, tell us about your unbelievable first job. Mm. And I got to say that your path is one of those ones that shows some interesting curves to it. And it really highlights the breadth and depth of what you bring to us. So that's great. Now, what I'd like to do first, before we go any further, is address the elephant in the room. Outbound sales as you say, is so old school. That's what you're telling me in the green room. Inbound marketing is the only way to go. So how do you respond to that? And did I quote you correctly first off?
1: Well, I think it's, it's a combination, right? Yeah. Like I, I'm a big, so you kind of mentioned in the intro, predictability and sustainability. So um, I don't, I'm one of those guys who, I don't subscribe to any one specific um, tactic or one specific um vein of thinking necessarily because i think it's case by case now uh, to your point i think inbound leads are far more valuable than outbound leads naturally Um, however i'm a big fan of of having outbound having inbound having word of mouth and referral Um, i think having a holistic approach to sales and growth is actually how you create sustainability so um, in my world i deal with a lot of high ticket businesses specifically digital marketing and creative agencies. Um, The problem that a lot of them have is they don't know how to create predictability or sustainability. They either depend on word of mouth referrals, you know, sporadic inbound trade shows and directories, things that are unpredictable, right? They never know when they're going to come through. They're very very valuable when they do come through, but it's hard to build a business from a predictability standpoint. If you don't know when or where they're coming from. the next is people who try sales. They're, they're kind of like, all right, I, I need to build a holistic sales operation, and uh, because they never had the breadth of experience that maybe someone like me did, because they're a creative or a visionary, um, they don't necessarily know how to do sales. So they don't know how to teach sales. So they don't know how to hire for sales, train sales, manage sales. Um, so naturally, it's going to fall on its face. Then uh, there's the people who have found like the silver bullet, right? They they they're silver bullet hunters, as we call. Uh, as we call them. And those are people who have found that one thing or that that one or two things that's really working for them. Maybe it's um, LinkedIn automation one day or it's, um, you know, starting a podcast and inviting your ideal clients on as guests to help develop a relationship or it's, um, you know, advertising and sales funnels through click funnels or whatever it might be. The problem with that is though they're silver bullets and we can really grow off the back of those things, we want to incorporate those is if we become dependent on those one or two things and those one or two things goes away it's unsustainable we're gonna go back to zero yeah and the same thing with salespeople right I never want to hire a sales rock star before having sales process in place if I don't have sales process and I just let some lone wolf sales rock star come in he or she might come in and crush it for us but if they go take a better job somewhere that pays them better creates more stability they move out of your city and you need to have people in your office, whatever it might be. If you lose that person, same thing as being dependent on a tactic, you go back to zero. And so that's what I try to help create is we want to be holistic in how we think about sales process, technology, team, and assets are our core four.
0: You mentioned one of the reasons that businesses fail when it comes to sales is not having a diversified strategy. So With that being one of them, what are some of the other reasons that you see so many businesses fail when it comes to the sales aspect of this? I have personal experience in this area, but I want to get your thoughts on this first.
1: Yeah, I think, um, again, I'll speak from my world. Um, I think this applies to a lot of different worlds, but my specific one with agencies is um, they don't know what they don't know, for one. Um, For two, I think because they don't know what they don't know. Um, when they try to hire out, so the big problem with agency owners specifically, and it's a small business world in general, is the owners don't know how to remove themselves from sales. What I mean by that is, is they want to, they really, really want to. Oftentimes they hate sales and they want to get out of it and they don't want to compromise growth. Um, but because they don't know sales, they don't understand sales and because they don't know and understand sales, they don't know how to hire for it, train it manage it, they don't know how to build processes for that salesperson or sales team, Um, oftentimes they find themselves spending a lot of money and spinning their wheels because uh, they're unable to set a salesperson or a sales team up for success. They think that if they just throw money at someone who has a title that says salesperson or sales rep or business development rep or whatever it might be. They think that's going to ultimately solve the problem, and unfortunately there's a lot of legwork that typically has to get done and it's the biggest reason why most agencies and I would say and expand that to small businesses fail when it comes to sales, and they always result back to what we call founder based selling The founder has to get back into the the uh, the cockpit and drive again when it comes to sales since they can yeah. never truly win themselves
0: right so you raise a couple interesting points with this uh, one of which is what I think you touched on is I, I see I've seen myself there are folks whose brilliance and passion the phrase that use the phrase that's one of our catchphrases in our businesses here is that thing that they do uh, so if we're talking about digital agencies it may be The marketing aspect could be the copywriting aspect of it, could be the website design aspect of it, whatever it is within that digital agency that they niche in and find most interesting. So because they have the brilliance around creating these things, they can do things walking backwards, handcuffed and shackled that, uh, that some folks couldn't even fathom after watching 500 Tutorials. That's, that's where they live, but when it comes to selling the thing, except for folks who already know they want one, they're going to find it in some ways very challenging to make that sale.
1: Yeah, and so here's the typical trajectory for agency owners, and I'm sure this can be applied to a wide spectrum of different types of small businesses, but a typical trajectory of an agency owner is they were a creative, a visionary, a strategist, a technician of some sort at some point in their career. They were probably working for somebody Uh, that probably turned into someone asking them or some opportunity coming across their desk that enabled them to do a side project, some sort of marketing gig. Right. Um, That then kind of got their wheels spin. Like, huh, I can make more money, set my own schedule, uh, be my own boss if I just did this on my own. Boom. Now they're a freelancer. They quit their job. And then they moved from being a freelancer where they, because they're really good at what they do, word of mouth travels, right? We love word of mouth. And when we're small, it's, that's the best way to grow. So word of mouth happens, bigger projects come through. Now they're too stretched thin. So now they need to hire someone. Boom, now they're an agency owner because they have them and they have people under them that are helping deliver their services. And then it's this, just we call it the agency hamster wheel. It's we land a deal, we service the client, a deal falls off. We got to go look back at the pipeline. Oh no, the pipeline's dried up again. Got to go find our next deal. Knock on doors, ask my current clients for referrals, hope for someone to bring us a deal. And it's this never ending cycle that agency owners find themselves in where they kind of accidentally became an agency owner just through progression. Uh-huh. Um, but nowhere along the line were they ever trained in sales. Did they ever uh, get involved in a sales environment? Did they ever have to hire salespeople? And so, they find themselves in this position where they're they need to come, they're at a crossroads. Either stay small, go back to being a freelancer, um, go work for somebody else again, or try to grow this thing and try to get past this agency ceiling that we're kind of hitting. And, and that requires getting out of sales. And so that's, that's honestly, and that's probably the story for a lot of business owners. Um, but that's just from uh, an agency perspective. That's the typical trajectory they find themselves in.
0: You know, you were kind of reading my diary there for a minute. Uh, is there some hidden camera I need to be aware of?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I <laughs> so this is really interesting. So I built my business. I could serve as pretty much any industry I want. Yeah. In terms of what I do is very transferable. But I'm a big, big believer in uh, knowing and loving who you serve, knowing who your people are. And so for me, when I ended up going from corporate world to consulting world to then, you know, running sales at a, at a, a digital agency – that's where I really fell in love with the people that make up digital agencies and creative shops. I love the visionaries. I love the creatives because I'm not, I am, I'm a visionary, right. As an entrepreneur, I have to be uh, for the most part, I'm not a creative, um, but just the way the creatives think I'm attracted to that. I'm kind of the yin to their yang or vice versa. Um, And for some reason, I just love being around agency owners. I mean, I have, I'm in masterminds with them. Uh, We do these agency experiences where we go and do crazy stuff and, the mountains and, and they're just my type of people. I'm the kind of guy who's going to wear a black V-neck every day to work. I'm not going to put a suit and tie on. Um, you you know, like that's just me. I'm going to drink a, I'm going to drink a beer with you and we're going to hang out. Uh huh. I just feel like agency owners are my people who I enjoy doing that with. And so I think that's a, whether that's a, the purpose of, of this, you know, interview or not, I think that's a good point to bring away for some of your listeners is just do you love the people you serve, and are they your people? Um, and if you feel stuck, maybe that's why. Maybe you're not serving who you love.
0: Yeah, you know, um, again, I'm looking around for this hidden camera, or, or, well, somehow you got a hold of my diary. Uh, I had, I used to own a web design firm between the years of 2005 and 2011, when I basically was delighted to slam the book down on it like I was squashing a like I was squashing a hornet. That's how much I came to actually hate it. And uh, I tell you I tell you and the thing is it wasn't so much the people of uh, because some of the clients I had with that firm are actually still with me today. They followed me through my business and all of its different turns and the different Mm -hmm. opportunities it's followed. Uh, I can tell you, however, there were some attractive energies there. And what what I mean by attractive is literally just what it attracted that were just way off. I'm not gonna get too much into the details of all that. I've ranted and raved about this on other episodes of Business Creators Radio. So you're not gonna get one of those uh, profane f-bomb laden (laughs) rants for me today i'm just i'm just feeling too mellow and too peace out man to do one so i know some of our listeners tune in because they love them i'm sorry i can't deliver that to that today but what i can deliver for you is the insight that i discovered over the course of thinking about this and trying to prevent it from happening again but you really lit sort of an inspirational fuse here and what i realized is that business was 100% referral driven. In fact, some of the biggest conflicts that came along with it were people attempting to foist referrals upon me that were so bad fit just on spec that I... I would have rather lobotomized myself with a butter knife without anesthesia than even have the conversations, but yet I allowed myself to be conjoled to take these bad fits on as clients, and my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, I write in the S chapter about how that very phenomenon drove me to the point where I ate toothpaste for breakfast one morning, because I couldn't even get out to buy some damn groceries. And I ended up smashing my printer in a thousand pieces because it ran out of ink.
1: That sounds like a uh, typical agency or dev shop. So
0: other people have done it too. I'm not the only one that's gone office space.
1: No, no, everyone I've heard multiple toothpaste stories.
0: <laughs> so 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 you so you've got, so you've gotten a couple of those rage against the machine calls, oh my god, what have I done? What's happening type things as a coach and mentor yourself?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I think day, like a lot of a lot of agency owners are incredible people and they find themselves in this dilemma where they hate their business, but it's not because it's not because they fell out of love with the work that they initially started doing, right? Like people still love doing branding, but they don't get to be the person who's doing the branding anymore. Right. They have to be the salesperson because that's the only thing. And, And here's why a lot of people, a lot of agency owners can't get out of sales and a lot of business owners can't, especially if they are, and maybe this is your experience. If they're highly dependent on word of mouth and referrals, the, The challenge with that is because it's unpredictable, because you don't know when they're going to come and because there's not a high volume of them, it's really challenging for you to let go of the reins of sales because every lead that comes through, you don't know when the next one's coming through and therefore it's that much more valuable than just a traditional lead, right? Right. And Because it's so valuable, you you don't want to pass it off to a salesperson who's probably going to do 70% as good as you on day one or 50% as good as you. Right. Like because leads are so valuable for word of mouth, it's so challenging to hand the reins over to someone else who can do half as good as you on day one. So one of my mentors, um, incredible, incredible guy has built multiple eight figure businesses at this point. And uh, he told me, said, Joey, if you ever truly want to grow and become a CEO, like be a real CEO, not just someone who has the title, but someone who's actually sitting over top of the company thinking for vision of growth. And that's pretty much your job. If you want to truly do that, you need to be okay with handing over the range to people who can do it 70% as good as you. And when you can do that, that's when you're going to start seeing growth. I thought that was counterintuitive, right? Because we always think about, I, I don't want to hand it over if someone can't do it as good as I can. And so when he told me that, and that applies so much to sales, if you truly want to scale, you've got to be okay with, with letting a few leads fall while that person gets up and running
0: yeah you know um you raised something else here and this does sometimes sound contrarian this is actually advice that i got from a coach once uh and this was somebody who was not only uh, a business coach who did some coaching with me uh she was also a client of one of the successors to the web design firm it was actually the website consulting firm when i had that between the years of 2011 and 2016 and uh One of the issues was, is we kind of got backed up on one of her projects and the feedback she gave me was just, it just rings in my mind because it was so counterintuitive, but at the same time, it made so much sense. You kind of just said it. She said, you know, I know we're way behind on getting this membership site of mine built, but candidly, you're trying too good to make it too nice. Just throw some stuff up there so I can have a membership site. (laughs) I'm thinking, what? What, you, you know, yeah, put my logo on and put my colors on and put my content in. We can do the rest later. Yes. And then she went on this thing for about 15 minutes and it goes back to digital agencies about where they get stuck is in the areas of perfection, where meanwhile, you look at these uh, mass software providers, I'm not going to call it any names because I think they all deliver good products. Well, actually, I do need to mention one, Kajabi, for instance. A lot of people use Kajabi. I've experience with Kajabi. Um, It's an excellent all-in-one marketing platform. It has a great membership portal, it has, you know, landing pages, all that other stuff. It's a good program. I I would recommend it if it's the type of thing that's going to serve your business. Uh, But the thing is, uh, you know, it basically is one of those things that comes off the shelf and what it is is what you get. So you're not going to get, you're not going to, you know, get to have like every single little thing just the way you'd like. You kind of have to work within their platform for you to have their membership application. Now where this coach opened my eyes to this whole thing. And I think she was a little extreme when she just said, well, just slap my logo on it and put my colors on it and put the shit in there so I can sell the damn thing, which actually were her words, by the way, I'm quoting her. Um, she was exposing me to an extreme version of you've a, and this was where her saying it to me, that I had allowed an attractive energy into my business of people who will fuss for days over um, an exact pixel of purple. <laughs> i ha- I had a client like this who, uh, uh, this was during the web design firm days, you know, they did, they worked with a branding agency and they got their color swatch. So, you know, this is the purple it's supposed to be, this is the yellow it's supposed to be, this is the blue it's supposed to be, you know what I'm talking about because you work with digital agencies. Um, and, you know, it's very hard to, it's very, actually, it's very, it's, now let me say it another way. It's very hard to screw it up when you have the swatch, because the swatch will come with the hex code. So if you're putting the background on the website, uh, and you want it to be that particular shade of purple, you literally program that hex code into the background command of the CSS, whether it's your HTML site or your WordPress theme or what have you, and it will be that color. Are we agreed on that? 100%. I had to go back and forth with someone for two damn weeks because her browser was out of whack. I mean, her monitor was out of whack, and she kept insisting it wasn't the exact purple. No matter, I I filmed not one, but three Camtasia videos demonstrating that it was absolutely the exact shade of purple she asked for.
1: That's incredible. Yeah, And I mean, see, and,
0: see and, and, this, and this is where that coach, this is what my coach was opening me up to. I became so used to fighting those stupid, pointless battles that my coach stepped in and said, you know what, just put the damn thing up, I, whatever, just slap my logo on it and put my stuff in. I want to make some money with this. Yeah. So taking me from one extreme to the other to help me find, as you put it so brilliantly, that ability to let go of a hundred percent and be willing to work with 70 yep. I mean, percent. Because big, when it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, sellability, revenue, and profits are usually within the 70%.
1: That's right. Well, and, and to be quite yeah. honest, the I'm a big fan of done is better than perfect. Yeah. Um, but for me, I'm like you said, revenue solves a lot of problems. And so if I can be okay, so, for in that particular instance, if I can make some money, I can spend all the money in the world on getting the perfect color of purple. Right. So let me make the money first, and then I'll solve some of the problems that are maybe ancillary problems that aren't actually going to move the needle.
0: Right. And, and here's a funny thing I, I I've seen because I've been in, in various industries related to online marketing for almost 20 years Ooh. now. The, of the ones that have been in business that I've been tracking the entire time who may or may not have been my clients in one way or another along the way, what I've noticed is not one of them has the same website, uh, the same logo, in many cases, even the same color scheme as they had 20 years ago. Right. In fact, I've noticed that in order to keep a business fresh, smart businesses will rebrand. They'll freshen up the logo. They'll change the colors a little bit. They'll um, shade things differently because they've done some neuro studies that indicate that making this shift will appeal to a different section of their avatar, whatever it is, however they put, put words around it. Uh, mm-hmm. but what it really comes down to is just the idea that. If the market doesn't see you sprucing up every so often, anyway, there, you're, you're going to be like that record that plays over and over again. And eventually nobody can hear it. So therefore why would you spend so much time trying to get it perfect when you're inevitably going to change it?
1: Yeah. And what's interesting is, um, and this is maybe somewhat of a tangent, but I think B2B and B2C are very different in this regard. So for instance, um, I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, there is a restaurant chain that's headquartered here that a lot of folks, at least in the East Coast, have heard of called Ruby Tuesdays.
0: Of course, yeah, I've been there.
1: So Ruby Tuesdays, you know, it's a typical, it's like an O'Charlie's or an Applebee's or one of those just above fast food, but it's, you know, family style. Well, uh, they struggle really hard. It's And one reason that they've identified is they've struggled in recent years because they have made so many changes to their menu, the names of their food, to what they offer on their menu, to their branding and everything. Now that's B2C. I'm, I'm actually, and, and because people people like getting used to something, right? Like that's why people don't like when, you know, a, a particular large, you know, consumer brand does a massive overhaul on the brand. They hated it at first and it takes a while to get used to it in b2b i'm actually a fan of rebranding like every 18 to 36 months yeah i personally right because the transaction is different in a b2c world i have to have repeat buyers i've got to bring people back in the high ticket b2b world i have new customers coming in every month that probably will never buy from me again because they're on a retainer or it's just a one-stop project where they don't need to come back and so i actually think it's it's in B two B world, it's actually far more advantageous to rebrand more frequently than maybe in the B two C world.
0: Yeah, this is why this is why um, yeah, I work. Um, one of my clients is a business coach, and yeah, he actually builds brands for entrepreneurs so they'll come, they'll, they'll go through his program for 18 months. He'll build him a hell of a brand. They'll get a book. They'll get a website. They'll get a podcast. They'll get everything. They'll make a million dollars. And, and, and in some cases, his results have literally been five, $6 million that he's generated for that client. And then they ended this program. And then three months later, he finds out that they've gotten a whole new website. They're calling themselves by a different sober K. they've changed the logo and they have a new book coming out. And I asked him about this and I asked if, you know, if he thought, well, what, you know, Blast Man, what the deuce is Stewie Griffin would say. And he said, no, that's normal. Yep. And, uh, and I'm not going to complain about it because maybe in 18 months they will come back to me for the next rebrand. That's what entrepreneurs should be doing. And he, and, and he great. himself rebrands frequently that way as well um i mean there's a consistent thread through all of his brands but he does change it up every couple of years for the reasons you and i have been discussing
1: well i'm a big fan of like a progressive rebrand so yeah. making sure that you know not changing the name and, and everything but i think always freshening up the brand you know again like every 18 to 24 months is is ideal um but yeah those who Kind of have the uh, shiny object syndrome when it comes to, I need to rebrand. They're the same people who, in the sales world, getting back to sales a little bit, um, they just. Yeah, we're think, about to
0: go back because I know you have some great stuff for us, but go ahead.
1: Well, it, just in that world, like people think that the next technology is going to be the thing that gets them across the finish line when it comes to sales. And so they get shiny object syndrome. And it's, you know, now they're moving to a different CRM and they're moving to a different marketing automation platform. And, and not, that the, not that doing those things isn't strategic at times, but I think oftentimes if we keep moving, I always find this really funny. Uh, and this is not the sales world, but it's like the productivity world. So those who are kind of in the productivity space, efficiency, those types of things. I was talking about productivity hacks and different tools they're using to maximize. I always find it super ironic because the amount of time people typically take to Learn a new productivity tool or learn a new productivity methodology. The amount of time it took them is probably the amount of time it's going to end up saving them by moving that tool. And so they're actually at a net zero, typically, uh, if not at a loss. And sales is kind of the same way. Yeah, if, if we're always balancing back and forth. Now I have a very specific tech stack, and I'm improving it every you know couple times a year. A very specific tech stack that we use that works. And I'm not going to look left and right at the next shiny thing. I'm going to give myself time and i'm going to allot myself on a quarterly basis to reevaluate where we're at from a tech staff standpoint but a lot of people will make decisions just because it's the shiny new thing it's got the one feature that this tool doesn't have and oftentimes kind of that that whole done is better than perfect the tool that you use and you use you know consistently and religiously and militaristically is probably better than that one feature at that one tool that you don't have in your arsenal yet
0: Right, and and I've seen and I've seen things get, and I used to actually uh, allow this to happen. Candidly, as part of the reason I didn't enjoy that business is uh, things get stuck on that one little thing um i know you're about to tell us about building an effective sales organization i think we have just enough time to do that want to make one more point um you know i had the shade of purple issue and then i also had a client once uh, and this was about 12 13 years ago so well within the range of the website design firm era uh where we built them a landing page and just to put it in perspective that's back when they used to be called squeeze pages uh, wrote, you know, wrote copy for this thing. I thought it was great uh, Used uh, you know, proven design formula, everything else. I, I this thing would have been uh, probably one of my centerpieces had it not been for the client's feedback. They actually expected me to go back and forth with them on a live call for an hour while they literally held a ruler up to their monitor and measured millimeters of distance between text and their headshot. And, uh, and, and I, this was actually kind of liberating for me. Um, after I actually allowed that to go on, which I should have cut that off, candidly, mm-hmm. the person said, oh, you're so great, and I'm gonna refer all my friends to you. And I actually blurted out, I didn't even think about this, I just blurted, I said, if they're anything like you, please don't. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> okay, that was the, okay, that was the end of that client relationship. But uh, that's how frustrating that stuff gets. And I think that part of the reason you and I ended up on this segue about branding and customer management and everything else is because I think it impacts sales. I think that there's a psychological plaque that builds when you go through these issues of messing with your brand um, in a non-strategic way and allowing yourself to get weighed down by the pain that comes From your sales process, particularly if your sales process is not yielding you the type of prospects you're looking for. So, our listeners know that the reason we do 60 minute episodes instead of 20 minute episodes is we allow space for these kind of discoveries to happen because things that may not seem related on the surface may, in fact, be driving each other. And it's been my theory for a long time that the plaque that comes from, uh, that builds up from just experience after experience of why the hell did I do business with this person can really impact your enthusiasm for building a sales organization and even having a clear mind on how to do it so let's get back to sales um, and let's discuss setting up a successful sales operation and I know your focus has a lot to do with digital marketing agencies but I know that a lot of what you share is going to be applicable to most people. Uh, So what would be some of the first key steps? Let's say somebody comes to you and they say, I need to have a, I need to have predictable growth of a sustainable sales operation. What are some of the first key steps,
1: Joey? Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely comes down to who do you serve? And how do you serve them? So we'll get into some of the like pillars of a sales operation, but that has to be at the, the cornerstone of who you are as a company. It's who do you serve and how do you serve them? And I would say, get very uh, militaristic about that. Who is it that you truly work with? And here's why I say that, because getting back to um, some of the things that you were talking about with just pains with customers and taking on the wrong types, types of customers. If you have a clear path and definition of who you serve and how you serve them, um, a lot of those problems will naturally go away. And also, when you really hone in on your specific niche, it allows you to develop credibility and authority much faster than if you're a generalist. So if you're a generalist who do, you know, does all things for all people, it's really tough to develop any sort of clout or any sort of respect and authority in any given space. Yeah. Because you're not an expert, right? You're good. Maybe even great at something, but you're not an expert. And so the moment you say, I commit to these people and this is exactly what I do for them. This is the exact problem I solve. It's the exact goal I help them achieve that's when you start developing authority, right? Like I choose agencies, not because necessarily it's more convenient, but because the people I love and because I can build authority and credibility so much faster by, by essentially planting my flag in the ground saying, these are my people and this is the problem I solve. And so I'd say that has to be at the, at the foundation or cornerstone of every good, not just sales operation, but organization.
0: Right, niching basically, and knowing how to say no to success.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I say no to, to companies all the time that aren't. Yeah. Agencies. I'll, I'll take. So here's the thing with planting your flag is you don't have to say no to people outside of it, but when it comes to your brand and your marketing and, and how you present yourself to the world, having that flag planted on, this is who I serve exactly enables you to uh, grow a lot faster. Now, if someone comes along and I have plenty of customers, who I would even say have been amazing customers um, who aren't agencies and I'll still work with them as long as they fit a certain type of criteria that I'm looking for. Um, and so it doesn't mean you say no to everything, but it does mean that you need to say no a lot more often. Yeah. If you say no to no, if you say yes to something, it means you're saying no to something else. If you say Correct. no to something, you're saying something else. And so that's very key. Um, outside of that, knowing who you serve, um, I really believe that a sales operation is built on four pillars, your sales process, your sales tech stack, your sales people and team, and your sales assets, and I'll go through each one of those briefly. So, processes is, is key. I would much rather, if you heard me say it earlier, I'd much rather have a sales process than a sales rock star, because I'm at risk if I'm dependent on some sales rock star without a sales process. He can come in, she can come in and crush it, and if they leave, I have nothing left. I can't bring someone to replace that person unless they're, a, you know, a, a carbon copy of that person. But if I have sales process, defined systems and strategies and what we call playbooks, workflows and sequences of here's how we handle this particular situation with this particular type of person. Um, if I have that in place, then the person I put in there, though they can be a rock star, and I'd rather have a rock star running my process than have you know, an average person running my process. But if I had to choose a sales rock star with no process and an average person running my process, average person running my process all day long.
0: I, I can see why.
1: So that's what I would make sure to hone in on is, is get religious about documenting the process. I'm a big fan of, of the three D's we call it do document delegate. Yep. So do something so well that you can document it, document it so well that you can delegate it. And so that's why we exist because a lot of agency owners don't know how to do it well. So therefore they don't know how to document it and then therefore don't know how to delegate it. Um, we come in and essentially help with all that. But if you are good at sales, if you're a founder that is good at sales and you just want to remove yourself, start documenting what you do and how you do it and your thought process while you do it. And that is going to enable you to then pass that over to someone and delegate it. It's going to make the training a lot easier. So sales process, thinking through different scenarios that you encounter in your sales um, conversations and your sales engagements, um, processes from a sales perspective, right? Outbound, inbound, referral, those are processes, but then also yep. processes for how do you hire? Processes for how do you train? Processes for how do we manage salespeople? Hiring, training, and managing is the hardest thing you'll do, period. Um, so that's something to keep in mind is make sure you have all that documented and, and uh, that way delegation is a lot easier. Technology, tech stack. Um, I'm a big fan of automation, big fan of, of tools and things. If... And only if they make us more efficient and more effective. So those are two important things. Has to have both. I don't want to just be more efficient, but less effective. And I don't want to be more effective, but less efficient. I want to be both. And so if technology can help me and my sales team accomplish that, it needs to be in my tech stack. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. And and the different, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll say in the different components of a tech stack, just if you're looking for sales, um, a couple of the, the staple pieces is having obviously a CRM of some sort. I'm a big fan of pipe drive. Um, there's so many out there. There's HubSpot, Salesforce, uh, Copper, all these different ones. I'm a big fan of pipe drive. All my clients, I put them on pipe drive. Um, and so pipe drive is my CRM and then having a sales engagement tool. So having a tool that ties in with your CRM uh, that talks to your CRM that enables you to send email sequences, LinkedIn messaging, um, that allows you to incorporate video there's different tools like that there's so many out there there's outreach.io there's uh, sales loft there's uh, outplay hq which is the one that we use um, and then outside of that other technology is dashboards and reporting if you really truly want to have predictability and sustainability you need to have transparency into your sales you need to have a dashboard for your department how is your department producing you know your team as a whole and then you want to have individual sales reps how are they producing what are they doing? What's, you know, where are they getting hung up? What deals have stalled? Those types of things. And then other random technologies is having, you know, some sort of LMS or uh, knowledge base, a learning management system for those who don't know the terminology, like a Kajabi or something something like that, right? I'm not saying, just because you mentioned Kajabi earlier, I'll just use that for example. Right. Having that for training. So when you bring a salesperson in, having all the content that that salesperson needs to be successful to train them having a place for that. We're, we're big fans of a knowledge base. So having a one stop shop where they can just type in a keyword or a phrase or a question, and there's probably something within our content knowledge base that's going to come up that might help them with an answer. And so I'm a big fan of, if you haven't gone to the knowledge base first, don't come to me, the manager or the owner. Yeah. And so having that repository where you can just dump scripts and templates and you can dump processes and dump all the things that, essentially make up the backbone of your operation. And the last thing is assets. What is it that you are creating that equips your sales department, your sales team? So this is content, case studies, testimonials, um, training uh, content, stuff like that. So process, technology, talent slash team and assets. Those are the core four pillars of a good sales operation. Yeah, and I think that provides
0: a really good foundation. One of the themes I saw, Joey, through what you described is that you have a standard that you develop and then you uphold. Uh, And you said it yourself, there's so many modalities that you can use. And if you're working with a digital agency, for instance, they may have their own set of modalities. Um, I know during my digital agency days, uh, we had absolutely no interest whatsoever in going into uh, offering Facebook advertising services for instance and I've said this on episodes of the business creators radio show where we were interviewing those experts those Facebook ad experts how to how to make money through Facebook advertising and I've said on those episodes that I will never ever ever spend a dime on Facebook advertising again because I thought the way that their advertising department treated me was, Below anything that dignifies human behavior. And I will not, I will not put my own money in that and I will not recommend anybody else do it. However, I provide the resource of the Business Creators Radio show for those who have a different point of view. Um, I just, I just don't think they're very nice people. So I don't want to use their platform. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not in business. What it means is I then find another standard for how to do things that you would accomplish through Facebook advertising, such as uh, grow your audience, get more likes, get more subscribers to your email list. In fact, I'm collaborating on a project right now with one of my clients that has created an entirely new modality for helping people get subscribers, qualify subscribers to their email list quickly without spending a dime on social media advertising. So there's always a different way to do it. And I'm gonna be more interested if I were really in that business, I'd be saying, All right, so I have a platform that will get you those same or better results without having to deal with so-called Facebook ad reviewers. How's that sound? Oh, and it'll cost you 110. I'm going to go for that market because there are plenty of other people that will swear by Facebook advertising and claim they wake up and go to sleep to it. And their tribe are the people who feel the same way. Enough room for all of us. That's what jumped out at me to those four pillars is just that ability to have integrity and belief and what it is that you feel is a great process and being able to articulate that in a way to get others to believe in it. That's what I got.
1: Yeah, and I think, and yeah, process exactly. So I think having a certain standard of doing things. So for instance, one of our quote unquote secret sauces when it comes to sales management. So when it comes to managing your actual salespeople, is having what we call a daily shutdown accountability. So every single day, this is just my standard for my sales team. Um, and this is what we instill in every one of our clients who has this come and build out their entire sales operation is um, every sales rep at the end of every single day, they get three total misses. But every single day, they fill out this daily shutdown accountability form. It tells, you know, different things like how much um, revenue they drove today, how many first time appointments they drove, how many follow-up appointments, how many activities they did, um, what's any bottlenecks or hurdles that they're experiencing that we might be able to help them with, um, what are your overall thoughts on the day, and then we have a rating scale, like probably six or seven different categories I want them to rate themselves on. And me as a manager, if I am the manager, or you have a VP of sales who's the manager, whomever it might be, they are monitoring these daily reports and it's our standard that they have to do that. If you miss three of those, I fire you, period. And it's not, because it's just because that's the culture and the standard that I've set for our sales team is, Hey, you know, we have a lot of fun. We make a lot of money. Um, We solve big pain points for our clients, but if you don't commit to how we do things, you're going to hurt my company, my department, your, your coworkers uh, by not doing it how, you know, up to code. Yeah. And, and that might seem harsh, but I'm trying to build a specific type of culture in my organization, um, around accountability and transparency. And, you know, I'm the same way, like there there's accountability set in for my, my sales director as well. And so a sales director of video sales has a different type of transparency and accountability that maybe the sales reps have, but they're also accountable to someone else, me, the owner. So, um, Those are just little things. I think you're spot on with just having standards for how you do things and making sure that you just really have your people, whomever those people, might be one salesperson or might be a team of 20 people, really sticking to how you do things. Doesn't mean that you can't iterate and it doesn't mean you can't improve and innovate, um, that there's a place for that, but um, have a specific way of doing things because if you do something the same way, it enables you to gather data and data tells a story. And that story can tell you whether or not you're on the right path or not. And so if you're just all over the place doing things different ways, you know, with different types of prospects all over the place, it's hard for me to have a story to tell um, or to understand so that I can make better decisions in the future.
0: Yeah. All right. So we have about five minutes left before we do our wrap up here. And I think there's one more topic that if we touch on this for a bit, will be really helpful to our listeners. So, Let's say you, you build a winning sales operation, go by the four pillars, and I know you have so much more to share with our folks, and I know you have a little gift for us at the end. Um, how do you ensure, once you get this all set up, that your sales team stays motivated and productive?
1: Yeah, I think it. Uh, when it comes to salespeople, we neglect the person so often as the owner or as the sales manager. Um, really helping. So there's two different things. There's company goals. There's, I guess there's three. There's company goals, there's department goals, and there's the individual goals. And, and the individual goals cannot just be tied to your company. And so as a sales manager or as an owner who has a salesperson or sales people under them, it's important that you address the individual behind the sales position, right? So they're not just a salesperson. They are, Jimmy, Johnny, Sally, whomever might be, who goes home at five o'clock, six o'clock at night, who has boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, kids, you know, pain points, goals, et cetera, outside of just your company. And it's helping them really navigate life outside of just your company. And if you can do that, and if you can then tie back in the things that they care about outside of work with their work, it really enables them to have more of a passion for what they do from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or whatever it might be. Yeah. And so I think really helping care about the individual behind the sales, you know, job title um, is huge. And, and I think also, this is another big piece, let them feel the weight of how important their role is. So oftentimes salespeople, just because they're either um, you know, a smaller base plus a commission or they're entirely commission based, whatever it might be. And compensation plans are also a big pain point for people. If you ever want to talk about comp plans, I've got a thousand different ones, just depending on your situation. Right. But um, because of typically how they're compensated, it's pretty much eat what you kill to some degree. And so they don't feel as important as what they're producing. And, and what I want to communicate to them is you're right to some degree That's true because there is no other role in this company that has a direct impact on the rest of your coworkers your employees. If you don't sell, we don't have revenue. If we don't have revenue, I can't pay payroll for everyone else in the company. And if I can't pay payroll for everyone else in the company, then that's families that aren't getting a paycheck this month. And so those families having a living And having provision is tied back to your work as the salesperson. And you should feel the weight of that. It shouldn't crush you, but you should feel empowered that you're serving a ton of people. Or, but you know, the other end of that, you're not serving a ton of people. You're actually hurting a ton of people. Yeah. I think that's important to communicate. Yeah. I think you're, I think that you
0: bring up a lot of good points here. And I also like how you put the emphasis on how their success becomes the team's success. And vice versa, because when a team is succeeding, they are also succeeding. And you bring it down to real world things. Like, do you want to have a good lifestyle? Do you want to pay your bills? Do you want to help other people do the same thing? Do you want to be responsible if they end up out of work? Uh, I was in a, I worked in a sales environment once. It was just absolutely horrible. And what I remember about it, and this is, and this is part of where I exposed it, the only thing that they really cared about. And I proved this. Now but I'm about to explain to you exactly how I did it. Was how much outgoing phone time you had on a given day. Like I, I mean, you could, you could, uh, you could make twelve sales that day, and they would say, "Oh, you're only, you only made 45 minutes of outbound phone calls. This is a horrible day for you." But you made twelve sales, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
1: So I measure outcomes. So here's, here's what I'd talk about oftentimes.
0: Right, let me, let, me, let, me, let me just finish this just so I can expose it, yeah, and then sure. you're going to make a good point that we're going to end on. Um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to find out if they really mean this. So I arranged with three of my friends uh, on, all on the same day, and I said, some point during the day, I'm going to give you a call. Just uh, when I call, uh, we're going to have a long conversation about gibberish and bullshit. Uh, we'll just keep it going for as long as we can. Uh, so I racked up six and a half hours of outgoing phone time, uh, based on four phone calls to my buddies from college. <laughs> and they gave me an award for it.
1: Yeah.
0: Castigated me the day I made 12 sales, but yeah. gave me an award for chatting on the phone with my buddies. I said, all right, this is bullshit. I, it's time to put my paper back on the street. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead and make your point because you're about the reason I want to interject that is I wanted to put a I want to put a yin versus yang where you're illustrating the right way to do it. Go ahead.
1: Outcomes over activity. Yeah. So the way that I look at it, and and there's a progression here, it's not that activity isn't important, but here's what I look at. Are they accomplishing the outcome that they have set out to accomplish or that I've set out for them to accomplish? Yes or no? Yes, great. Don't bother them, let them keep doing what they're doing. No. Okay, the next level down, what does their activity look like? Is it enough? Are they doing enough activities? You know, And we define what that looks like, yes or no. If they're doing enough activities, then it's a qualitative thing after that. So it goes outcomes first, quantitative activities, qualitative activities. So if the outcome is not there, I look at the activity. If there's enough activities, then I know that it's a quality problem of the activity. So if they're not having outcomes, it's probably because whatever they're doing, even though they're doing a lot of it, they're not doing it very well. Right. Now, the other part is i look at the activities. If the outcomes aren't there and the activity numbers or volume isn't there, then that's the first one. I'm going to start say, hey, great. So you're struggling with the outcomes. Right now, you're doing 50% what everyone else is doing activity-wise. I want you to double your activities, and then let's reassess. If they've doubled their activities and they're still getting poor outcomes, then we're going to jump back down to the qualitative. Okay, then it's a quality of what you're doing. So now we're yeah. gonna analyze your scripts. Analyze your call recordings. Analyze your email templates that you're sending out. Um, analyzing your proposals you're sending, whatever it might be. Right. So it goes outcomes first, qual or a quantitative activities. How many activities based on your criteria? Yep. If that checks out. Then it goes down to qualitative. What's the quality of the activity?
0: Yeah, that's that's where I thought you were going with this. And I wanted to juxtapose that versus the experience I told you about just so our listeners could see a clear relief between the two. And I think uh, that's going to be, we could keep going with this for hours. And we may even have to have you back sometime um, for a part two or a related topic. But we are at the top of the hour. We have about two minutes left. And I want to give one of those minutes to you because you told me uh, back in the green room, you have a little something for us. So go ahead.
1: Yeah. If you are a high ticket organization and you, if I told you that we could build out your uh, entire sales department in less than 60 days um, and do it for under 25 K, then come hit me up. We got a special deal for you guys who are listening to the show. If That's interesting to you. uh, We'll hook you up internally. I'll tell my team. Um, And so if you go to joeyilke.com and you fill out a form of some sort on the website, um, and you just let us know that you came from uh, the Business Creators Radio Show. You know we're gonna hook you up with 10% off, which is thousands of dollars. Um, and outside of that, if you don't want to pay something and you want to just get a, a briefing, uh, if you go to forward slash sda course um, that's a free, about an hour-long course where you can kind of get a big primer on this whole four pillars we talk about: process, technology, talent, and assets.
0: Exactly. So I'll say the, I'll say the latter link because it also contains the former that's Joey Gilkey spelled dot com forward slash S D a hyphen course. Uh, that's the sales driven agency course. And, uh, there's three videos in it. I'm going to process a checking it out for myself. I think you guys are going to love it too. So Joey Gilkey, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education.
1: Thank you, brother. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. You got a
0: great show. And for those of you out in the audience, we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And until next time, have a great day. Take care.